Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. 
All right, it's Film Study with Ken McCusick. Still on the week 15, looking back at the 20-12 to 12 win over Tampa. You can see now Ken is putting it in the notes so that I read it in the way he likes. Ken McCusick, <laughs> how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing uh, I'm doing okay. So it's been a uh, rough day, but I'm doing good now. It's it's one All of right. those it's one of those you know consider updating your your resume days. Seriously, that bad? Okay, uh, yeah, rough, rough day, uh, rough month, but yeah, today was fun. So, um, but it's all right. I don't want to talk about work. That's that's its own thing. This is where we get to go away from work. We get to talk about football. We get to talk about the Ravens. We we get to talk about the Pro Bowl. We'll get to that later in the show. But um, we we got to talk first about the offense and how the offense continues to play well uh, with Lamar Jackson at the helm. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a nice consistent formula. They've been able to continue winning it by it. Jackson's threat outside is is keeping those outside defenders from pinching in. When they do, the Ravens have the answer: getting Jackson to the outside and getting some big plays. And uh, he's electric in terms of making plays in space. And he really is. It's very hard to measure him analytically by just looking at his passing stats or even just looking at his rushing stats, which are quite good, obviously, because they don't really capture what he's doing for the other players by forcing them to play, uh, you know, commit multiple resources often to containing him. Because oftentimes you have to you have to commit a defender on each side to containing Jackson from leaving the pocket or leaving uh, hitting the edge in either direction. So uh, it's it's been great. Gus Edwards has been the beneficiary. We're going to talk about that some, but uh, it's a formula we're loving here now. A lot of first downs converted, and the Ravens did that again in this game. A lot of third downs converted, and uh, the number of plays obviously is terrific. That's been something that uh, has has been good for the entire season now. Right, and that's that whole time of possession. But it really is they're controlling these games. Yeah, I, I, I did have some stats on this because I think this is really exceptional. Offensive snaps per game in 2018. This is for the whole season. The Ravens have 71.6 snaps per game. They lead the entire NFL. The number two team is the Patriots with 66.9. That's 4.7 snaps behind the Ravens. The median, so now we're talking about the average of the 16th and 17th teams, is 63.6 snaps per game. So only 3.3 below the Patriots. So the difference between 1 and 2 is 4.7. The difference between 2 and 16-17 is 3.3. Okay. And then the last place team is the Dolphins with 55.3 snaps per game. Uh, A truly ungifted offensive team with a lot of problems. Uh, I did want to point out, though, that this has been something the Ravens have been doing all year, not just with Lamar, although I would argue probably that the snaps have greater value with Lamar. But during the first nine weeks in the – We'll call it the Flacco offense or the combined offense. Do whichever you like. 71 snaps per game during those those games. 72.6 with Lamar during weeks 10 through 14. And if I really had to honestly say, I'd probably say the Flacco snaps, it's it's a little bit better to get 71 snaps given the defenses that the Ravens played during the Flacco period or during the combined period. But Lamar has really done exactly what the Ravens could have at most hoped these last five weeks in defeating, you know, four teams which really couldn't stop defense or play offense, and and I'm including the Falcons in that. The Falcons were a good offensive team. That's not fair, but but the also you know coming close to beating the Chiefs in Arrowhead, even though that didn't work out and Lamar was part of the problem there. Uh, it, it's it's been a hell of a five game run, and and Lamar's impact on the offense clearly is not 
completely seen within the stats. Right, and and it's hard because Lamar is so different. It is is it is hard to see exactly what he brings to that game, and uh, part of that is also what bringing Gus Edwards. Now that we've seen uh, what is this four weeks of Gus Edwards, five weeks has he been there the same as Lamar? I want to say he started playing way back in the Tennessee game. Maybe he got he got some activity, and I'd have to go back to look at his game by game data, which is out there. Of course, you can if you right. if you look at team data and you look at game by game play, you can get that. Uh, but anyway, it, it's uh, he did get some play early on in this year. It wasn't much. He was just getting a few snaps, and he, of course was was the leader in rushes during the preseason. Yeah, first game was Tennessee at ten for forty two. So he's been nine weeks active. I guess. Okay. And the last five with with uh, right. That's where he got Jackson. all our attention. Is yeah, he's got five. sixteen plus carries each of those games, and he's had at least sixty-seven yards in each game. And now he's up to five fifty for the season. So there are he has really had some astounding numbers. I mean, some things I've never seen done before by a running back during these five weeks. And obviously, a lot of it is not exactly him alone, but it's him under these circumstances and how nice a fit he is with Jackson. But start with this, that uh, he has yet to have a run for a loss all season. That's in 111 carries. That's pretty crazy. Just just outrageous. Um, PFF now ranks him as the number two rookie running back just ahead of Nick Chubb. Now, Nick Chubb has 5.2 yards per carry. Gus Edwards has 5.0, and Chubb has done it over many more carries, has a bunch of breakaway runs that, right. that have been very impressive, obviously. I think if I were a Cleveland Brown fan, I'd be very upset about that. Uh, Edwards, though, has been such a low-variance ball carrier. That's what's really astounding about what he's done. He's got 550 yards on 111 carries, but I already told you he didn't have any negative carries. So all of his carries have been between 0 and 26 yards. That's his longest. It was in this last game on his very last carry, in fact. Uh, but he previously hadn't had a run longer than I believe it was 19. might have been 21. But anyway, that's the that's the general range. And to have 5.0 yards per carry with the long run being 26 is just amazing. I mean, Jamal was up around 5.0 yards per carry. In fact, I think he was around 5.3 in his 2066 yard season, but he had, you know, all these ridiculously long carries of, you know, uh, 82 against the Browns. I think it was and 62. Another time that got reduced to 49. He had another 40 plus yard carry, all, all kinds of long carries during the year that were contributing to the, to give him some extra juice on that yards per carry stats. Well, he, Edwards isn't doing it with any of that. He's doing it with a bunch of medium length carries. He's getting a bunch of four to eight yard carries that are fueling that 5.0 yards per carry in total. So uh, really astounding. I, I'm working to try and see if I can put this in a, in a histogram format that will show how much his his carries are grouped. And uh, and I have a friend working with me on that. And when, when we have that, we'll put it out on Twitter or, or put it out right. with uh, with one of the articles. But anyway, this is, it's just an extraordinary number to have 5.0 yards per carry and not really have any long runs. And he's just exploded these past five games with 190 yards rushing for the past five? Yeah, the, Ra- the Ravens as a team have 190 yards rushing okay, for, for the last five games. And the last team to do that was the 1976 Steelers. Okay, there hasn't been any team which has rushed for as many yards in a five-game period since 1980. Zero teams have done that. Okay, as many total yards. But the 76 Steelers have five straight 190-yard rushing teams. 
Now, let me, let me remind you of who the 1976 Steelers were. They're a competitor with the 2000 Ravens for one of the greatest defenses of all time. They had not a nine-game stretch late in the season that I think is unquestionably the greatest streak ever by an NFL team where they gave up 28 points in nine games total. I guess three, just 3.1 points per game over a nine-game period. And they recovered from a one-and-four start, made the playoffs, and amazingly lost in the AFC Championship game to Oakland. Uh, 24 to 7 didn't make the Super Bowl, which is probably one of the things that keeps them out of the discussion from being the greatest defense of all time. But they were certainly right up there. And it was certainly the greatest streak during the season. So anyway, that team, you can understand why they might have rushed for 190 yards five games in a row. This Ravens team has a good defense, certainly. But if they'd ever gotten behind, they would have had to pass more. The, the, the Steelers were never really in jeopardy of that during their uh, great run in 76. So when you look at this team, they're doing historically abnormal things in terms of the run games. Gus Edwards is, a, is a, I think, a good running back. I think he is a very solid straight-ahead runner who fits this system. I just think if the Ravens actually had a running back with some breakaway power, if they had Jamal Lewis, if they had another real power back in there, uh, you, you would be seeing some extraordinary numbers from that back individually. You might have seen 150 yards average over these last five games from, from such a back. So, because right. uh, Gus Edwards, all, all, when all is said, he is an undraft. He was an undrafted running back. Yeah, we, undrafted. We, yeah. Uh, he's he is successful in good part because of the system. Yeah, the system and the players around him, absolutely. But but and Lamar is the fact that he's yes. getting a lot of opportunities with with little pinching at level one that get him into level two. And he's very good about leaning forward through contact. And we've seen this, obviously, all season long. And the fact that he hasn't had any negative plays, but he's really good at leaning forward through contact, getting that extra couple of yards. I heard a very interesting comment on Twitter today that I really had to, had to take in and, and think about a little bit. But he said that somebody said that Gus Edwards had maybe too much of a lean forward style that he depends on contact to keep him upright. Now, I don't know if I'd really go that far, but I think there is something to be said that, that he leans into contact in a way which can minimize the yards after contact and not give him as many opportunities for maybe to break tackles. Uh, it seems like he does often break tackles as he's breaking into level two to get past the line. But when he makes contact in level two, it often seems he, he really leans into it and is satisfied with a seven, eight, nine yard game, like probably should be. Right. And and isn't it's important for him to get those lean forward yards after contact, but uh, but anyway, impressive. I would have thought from watching his running style that he would have more more broken tackles than he has. But you know, looking at what's on on PFF and whatnot, he's really not exceptional in in that regard. So uh, you know, it's 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 been a really interesting uh, year for Gus Edwards so far. He's obviously been tremendous, obviously tremendous within the system. I'm sure he'll be around next year because the style will really have value. I think also the Ravens are probably going to go and draft someone and, and have an, uh, develop the next three headed monster with, or more maybe four headed monster with, uh, Edwards Collins could be resigned. He might not be, he will be, he'll be tenderable as a un, unrestricted, sorry, as a restricted free agent. Um, and then they also have Dixon still under contract for his fourth year as a draft pick. So they've got only two running backs are actually under contract. Very, very likely they'll go out and try and find a uh, probably a good pass catching back in the draft, if I had to guess. Right. Uh, yeah. If you're building a three headed monster, you, you just include Lamar in that as, as much as he's running. 
Yeah, I, I mean, he, he's he's the fourth head, if you want to call it that. <laughs> right. just, he's he's the most important in a way because he's the one who just freezes that defense in every direction. And and opens up that middle. Yep. Uh, all right, the other thing that's been very helpful this season is the uh, the line and the fact that the line is getting healthy. So let's let's talk about the line like we always do, and let's start with Stanley. All right, well, Ronnie Stanley had a, had a pretty good game except for one – what I, in my review, is a fairly ticky-tack holding call. At least I can't really see how bad the hold is looking at either the broadcast or the All-22 film. There isn't any angle I've got that really shows it to be a particularly flaggable call. In fact, it's one of these things that I think probably would get called maybe 20% of the time looking at the thing. He's got his hands on him. There's no doubt about that. Right. Jason Pierre-Paul is the guy who who drew it, and he seemed to be understanding that the right thing to do, given he wasn't going to really get involved in the play, was just to throw his arms up and try for a holding flag, and he got it. It's kind of like you know, Tom Brady calling for a flag, except it's a it's an edge rusher calling for a flag on an edge he didn't really have held. Yeah, so, Stanley was a little defensive on Twitter about anyone who called him out for holding. Saying oh, that, I didn't notice. Yeah, he that's, was saying that's not a hold. Okay, well, I think he's right. I think I think it was pretty darn ticky tack. It, it would not have been called very often. It's it's uh, you know it's one of those things. Maybe twenty percent of the time it gets called, uh, but I think it was the the flag was basically sold to the official in this particular case. Now I will say Stanley also missed some blocks in this game. He missed seven blocks. Some of it was being beaten. Some of it was going to level two and not being able to find a block. I'll have more information on the article on that because I know we don't want to go through every single one of those. Um, it, it was not a bad game. Otherwise, though, we only gave up 1.5 pressures in the game. Ravens didn't pass that much, but a pressure and a half is terrific for a left tackle. And, uh, you know, he would have graded a lot higher had he not had this holding penalty, but, uh, 0.75, uh, raw score, uh, adjusted. It's a C plus. Uh, I thought it was a better game than that, honestly, but, uh, I can't unflag him for that call. Maybe there'll be a change, and it, the flag was really on somebody else. I don't think that's the case. I think it's it, it, they were obviously calling it on Stanley, given where the arms were flying around. But uh, anyway, uh, tough, tough grade there. I think he probably deserved better. He's still playing very well. He's on a good streak right now. All right. Um, how about Hurst and Bozeman? All right. Well, let's let's start with Hurst. Hurst and Bozeman. They split the activity at left guard, and some of that was I don't think Hurst was injured during the game. At least I don't think he was. But Bozeman did come in for a period of time in the first half, actually at the start of Q2 and played the entire second quarter. And, you know, that will often be a case. Actually, am I correct there? He did not play the first two drives of the second quarter, which is a fair number of plays. And uh, he looked great, by the way. Hurst looked okay in the game, not great. Uh, but Hurst allowed three and a half pressures in the game. And the guy the guy who was giving them a lot of trouble on the inside, actually there are two, Gerald McCoy, who's a first-round draft pick from several years ago, and the new guy, Vita Vea, who is an absolute comp for Haloti Nada in terms of size, in terms of athleticism. Uh, number 50, if you're looking at the film, is just a monster in there. I was looking back at this, and it looked like this was really Vea's breakout game. He had nine tackles that almost doubled his season total. So he had, I believe it was 12 tackles before this game coming into it, and he had nine more here in this one. Now, interior linemen do not pile up tackles. They usually, if they're doing their job, they uh, shut down space and they allow a linebacker or maybe a safety to come and make a play a lot of the time. Uh, but they don't make, they generally don't get as many tackles. There are exceptions. Kelly Gregg was a tackling machine when he was with the Ravens. 
but but even Haloti Nada only had maybe four or five games in his entire career where he amassed nine tackles. So Vita Vea, a huge game, and uh, was a difficult opponent for Hurst. Hurst got bowled a couple of times by Vea and uh, driven back into the pocket. Uh, it's to it's to be understood. Uh, Hurst's overall game sneaks in at a low C, but uh, but he did have some problems. If I'm pointing out some good things in Hurst's game, I'll, I'll point to the fact that he did have success again pulling, and the Ravens have had a lot of problems with that uh, this year so far. And he was seven of nine after going eight of ten last week. Uh, he had a good year, of course, at that last year as well. So uh, it was nice to see him back in there doing some of that and helping out the run game. Did have some problems. Uh, getting backed into Lamar a couple times by Vea otherwise, though. So that's Hurst. Uh, gets in at a, at a low C on his game. All right. So Hurst did good with pulling, and Bozeman got a good push. Yeah, Bozeman, terrific push in this game. So I, I see you noticed that, too. That's good. Um, all kind, he, most, of, most of Bozeman's time, the Ravens were running the football. So he came in for that. Uh, actually, there's only one drive. In quarter two, he played. But it was a super long drive where they ran the ball almost all the way down the field. Um, and he made all every block in the entire game except for one. And that covered 26 scored snaps. Okay, so he went 25 for 26, missed just one block, uh, didn't have any pressure events, uh, didn't uh, no pressure, sacks, quarterback hits, nothing like that. Well, he wasn't penalized. So a near-perfect game. You can add to the fact the fact that he was still physical in this one. It has been a lot of this game. He's been getting a lot of pancakes. He's been getting good push. He's much more of a physical mauler than Hurst is. I think of Hurst as being more of a guard who can pass block, get into level two, make a block, and also pull. But uh, you know, Bozeman is much more of a bulldozer and uh, you know mauling uh, pusher uh, than uh, than Hurst is. So anyway, he did, did some good jobs. He got having for one highlight block, four out of four on pulls. Total level two blocks are sitting there at four also. Uh, so hell of a game from Bozeman. His his best game of his career. I know he had a short snap game that didn't end up looking so good for him. Uh, when was that? Two weeks ago when he scored a D-plus against Atlanta. But uh, he's back with a .86 raw score overall for the year. And that's now in 158 scored snaps. That would rate in there at about an A minus at guard for the entire year. So he is it's getting to the point where you gotta wonder, does Bozeman get a start here at left guard? Uh maybe give Hurst another another week to rest up if he's not completely healthy, maybe allow Hurst to be uh a more valuable substitute if he can go in at either right tackle needed there or at left guard, and then you keep a, a more versatile player healthy. Of course, Bozeman is a guard center as well, so you'd wanna You'd want to keep that, too. Or maybe you just rotate the two of them and you get a fresher uh, offensive line play. And then you, you might have a better chance to handle a player like Vea or the next big interior defender the Ravens face. Yeah, it's not a bad problem to have. If there's two guys, you want them both on the field. That's not bad. No, it's it's really not. I mean, the Ravens are, are very fortunate to, to be seven deep with guys I think that can really contribute on the roster right now, including Illuminor, who's coming in and played some good snaps at left tackle and you know presumably he could come in at guard as well but uh it it's uh they're deep right now all right uh what do you think jinx skura coming on our show or the homemade pro bowl banner you know I, I, we're not gonna talk about the homemade pro bowl it was he he's proud of his play and he should be and he'd been playing very well there for four weeks he got a b plus b plus b in a four week 
uh, stretch here. He kind of had a mulligan game here against Tampa Bay. A lot of it was Vea and McCoy. They're two very difficult opponents, two very slippery opponents who were able to, to get by him and beat him either direction uh, off the line of scrimmage a fair amount. When he did get to level two, he didn't make a block every time. Uh, he missed 12 blocks in this game, which is a lot for a center to miss in one game. He also gave up two and a half pressures uh, by a variety of things. Mulligan game, he's earned one. Uh, had a false start penalty as well. Uh, .68 was the raw score with adjustment that brings him up to, to a D. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate. I'm sure that's not uh, what happened. I hope he won't think that it was his appearance on the show that caused this to happen. But, uh, uh, you know, he's earned a mulligan at this point. He's still not in any danger of being replaced. And uh, hopefully he'll he'll come back from this with a big game against the Chargers. All right, how about um, how about Mr. Pro Bowl Marshall Yonda? Marshall Yonda, very deserving of the Pro Bowl, probably has a, a Pro Bowl ticket punched for any remaining seasons that he plays at this point. A lifetime achievement Pro Bowl. This year he didn't win it by lifetime achievement. He won it by his play on the field. Right. And another A this week, allowed half a pressure, one quarterback hit, or he didn't actually allow the quarterback hit, but he allowed the flush that led to the quarterback hit, so he gets charged for it. Missed only two blocks the whole game. Uh, .89 raw score with adjustment that easily gets him into the A range. And uh, he had to deal with McCoy a lot in this game. McCoy was the was the defensive tackle on his side more often than not. And uh, he's a he's a very good player. So, uh, you know, it's it's a quality opponent not just a good raw score that, that got Yonda to uh, an A this week. All right. And then finally, Orlando Brown Jr. So Orlando Brown had been has been on a little bit of a roller coaster here, and he took a little bit of a step back this week. Uh, n- not a terrible one because he had an A last week, and it was a mid-A, his best game yet. Uh, step back to a B this week, and it's kind of a low B. Uh, the good news is he only allowed 1.5 pressures, and that's primarily what you want from your tackles is to is to minimize the frequency and severity of pass blocking errors and he did that 1.5 pressures good good job there uh for much of the game he was up against carl nassib now carl nassib people will remember him from the cleveland browns hard knock series this summer hey did you watch that by the way no i did not see it this oh year. okay well it's too bad because this was one of the really funny parts well they had a lot of funny parts but they had Carl Nassib was giving everybody advice on how to get compound interest on their money. And he said, look, how much money you got? If you got $30 million, why don't you put that away at 10% interest per year for seven years and you'll have, you'll have twice as much. And in 42 years, you'll, you'll have doubled it six times. You actually have 32 times as much money. And the other players are listening to him. And then finally, one of the guy comes in and goes, well, where can you get that? Where can you get 10% per year? Because right. I can't get 10% per year. And he goes, no, you got to put your money away. You got to save. And it's like, obviously, didn't really know what he's talking about. So it was, it was kind of funny. But at the same time, maybe the, uh, the yeah. other... I mean, it also sounds <laughs> I feel bad for him that he's got someone obviously in his head that's telling him he can get 10% in this investment. I think this was some sort of Tony Robbins-esque seminar that he had been to about com- or learning about the power of saving or whatever. I, I hope so. I hope it wasn't his, his agent or his financial manager. Financial advisor. Yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> but anyway, whatever his deficiencies as a financial advisor, Carl Nassib's hands and his ability to get, get wide on Brown were pretty effective. He was a little bit too quick for him. And we haven't really seen Orlando Brown being beaten by speed much this year, which was – that was the fear. You know, we talked about that all camp is that right. he'd be beaten by speed rushers and, and they'd get to the outside and whatnot. And he did. He got beaten outside. He got beaten inside. Nassib seemed to have his number. 
Nassib's hands were a lot faster in this game that I noticed than Brown's. And it's not shocking that that would occur, but uh, but it's something that he's going to have to learn a, a, about hand play. Or, and maybe it's something that, that Brown will address during his offseason is, is how to be more effective punching and getting a, a player like Nassib, who's who's not a really exceptional pass rusher in general, uh, slowed down a little bit. So, uh, you know, it may also be that that Orlando Brown still needs a few help from chip blocks, which uh, which is the other thing schematically the Ravens can help with to to try and make that happen. But anyway, he had 13 missed blocks two weeks against Atlanta, 11 this week. Most of those were losses at the line of scrimmage to Nassib on pass plays or on run plays that went for a gain anyway. So uh, he didn't get charged with anything, but they were, uh, you know, losses at the line of scrimmage, which are the, which are the bad kind of losses to have because they could have led to pressure events, uh, you know, under other circumstances. Uh, anyway, B for Brown, and uh, he's continued a, a run now. He's got now about eight straight games, nothing worse than a C. Terrific rookie year. In fact, he, in week one against Buffalo, you want to include that. That's all nine of his games. Uh, I don't think the Ravens could possibly be unhappy with anything Brown has done this year. Uh, exceptional in terms of only allowing 14.5 pressures for the year. Only half a quarterback hit the entire year in 1.33 sacks. So he's been party to four separate times that the quarterback has been knocked down. That's it. And he didn't get a whole share of any of those. So that's that's really exceptional for, for a rookie season to have 580 snaps and only four times he let the quarterback get knocked down. Yeah, those numbers sound great. Uh, let's look at some other guys on the field. And finally, we saw the Chris Moore misdirection work. They've tried it a few times this year. We saw it work on Sunday. Yeah, this was. It's almost looked like a little bit of like the Philly special. You remember that from the Super Bowl last year and whatnot, right. where there's misdirection. Well, the Philly special involves, I guess, double misdirection that gets got foals open in the end zone for it to, to accept the pass. And they've run it since then on some nationally televised game. But this one was was basically a a. a Read option, then a run to the left with Lamar that looked like the real deal, and then Moore was headed the other way, pitched it forward to him. Really was kind of a handoff, but he got to Jackson gets a touchdown pass. Yeah, I, I was surprised by that. Yeah, I saw that stat, and uh, my my brother had him in draft that morning, and he got points for that. Made no sense. It should have been a handoff credit. Yeah, that's but. okay. Good for him. Good for him is what we'll say. So anyway, that, that was a nice play. Uh, Chris Moore, great to see him get in the end zone there. He's been doing so much on special teams, been a, been a real contributor this year in a lot of ways to this offense. He's, he's had the highest catch rate on the offense and is definitely the guy that, that I think the Ravens could depend on more in this Lamar-led scheme. I, I, I also think Moore is probably a guy who will run routes after they're quote-unquote completed when the play is being extended. So, you know, you, you want speed guys for that, but you also just want uh, guys who are high effort, high motor guys, and Moore seems to be one of those. Right, and with a, when we're setting up for an offseason that's not really going to be attractive to uh, free agent wide receivers, Chris Moore could be a big guy jumping on that opportunity next year. Yeah, he could be. A, you know, this is probably an opportunity for Jordan Lasley. Who knows, Jaleel Scott may come back and, and look like a player. Right. He didn't in camp this year, but... You know he'll get another shot next year because he's a he's a draft pick. So uh, yeah. you know we'll see where we go in terms of young players. But the Ravens are going to need to draft at least one wide receiver. That's for sure uh, in the upcoming draft. Um, were you surprised that Ty Montgomery was deactivated going into this game? Yeah, I was because I thought that's a lot of the 
running back workload that had been taken in the previous weeks. And it was an important part of the workload that Edwards wasn't getting, specifically the passing down snaps. Right. So Montgomery was in there on that. Montgomery is a is a, a, a plus pass blocker. So, you know, that was one of the things when the Ravens acquired him that they thought they were really getting. I'm not sure why he was deactivated. It might have been an injury that they're just not really talking about or that, you know, they're being low-key about. Uh, it might have been something else, uh, you know, that happened in practice that they're unhappy about. It seems unusual that you'd activate Buck Allen and not Ty Montgomery. I really right. can't figure that, that one that's out. That's the one that was confusing was that Buck Allen was activated. Yeah, and I, I Buck Allen had three snaps in this game, so it's a, it's a little surprising, but... Uh, yeah, I, I don't really get it, but uh, right. but there's got to be some some reason for it. They they did give most of the snaps to Kenneth Dixon. Dixon actually played more snaps than Edwards in the game. Right. Yeah. Dixon got the uh, took on that bigger role with Montgomery out. Yeah, he did. He he ended up getting. Uh, let's see, what was it? Forty eight carry. Uh, sorry, forty eight yards on eleven carries. So very solid performance there. And uh, I think he caught a couple passes too. And I'm trying to remember if he did. I know, but, uh, I know he was definitely involved in some blocking where he yes. was running ahead of Lamar. Yeah, one, one, one catch only for two yards, so that's not much. So anyway, he's, he, he hasn't, it's not like he's made a huge contribution uh, in terms of the passing game or anything, but uh, apparently they want to give him more third down back responsibilities, and that's where we are. It worked fine on Sunday. Uh, Nick Boyle left with a concussion. Yeah, so that, that left him shorthanded and, and I went back and looked at the all 22 of the punt so let's get this cleared up first so on the Ravens first couple punts Boyle is in at the left tackle in the punt formation I don't know what to call it than that they may have a different name for it in a punt formation but it's two from the center and in the long snapper in this case on the left side and Boyle was there early on in the game of course Boyle went in the concussion protocol midway through the game and when they punted again, which was fairly far down the line, Q4, 11 and a half to go, I think it was, uh, then they were missing a player on the field, and Levine had to basically stop the play, allow the clock to run out, take another five-yard penalty so they could save the timeout, and then they kicked again. The guy who ran onto the field afterwards was Bowser, and you know we're kind of blaming him for not being on the field. Now, this may have been a case where Bowser wasn't told that he was the guy who needed to replace Boyle. So obviously Boyle wasn't playing. Somebody should have said something to Bowser, or maybe Bowser should have known from whatever special teams meetings they had in the hotel the night before, yada, yada, that they had to, uh, you know, he had to be the replacement if anything happened to Boyle and Bowser didn't have his head in the game that. So I'm not exactly sure why it happened, but uh, it could have been a communication problem. It could have, been a, could have been a mistake by Bowser. Either way, Bowser was the guy who should have been in there at left tackle on that punt. All right. Um, is there oh, well, I'm sorry. Yeah. We, we didn't talk about Boyle otherwise. Right. So Boyle left them a little bit shorthanded in terms of their blocking capabilities on the line because he's by far the Ravens' best yeah. pass and run blocking tight end. Right. Max Williams is not bad, but but you know uh, Boyle is really better. Um, and it, it's it's a little bit. They were a little bit shorthanded. They made do. They've been playing a lot of these this uh, three-man backfield where they have one tight end effectively to either side of Jackson in the backfield and then either Edwards or Dixon at the, at the back end of the pistol. And some of those formations, obviously, they, they, uh, they had to use a different tight end in there. They also didn't have Patrick Ricard active again for this week. So uh, they were a little bit limited in terms of their, their tight end usage, down to three like everybody else has. Uh, you know, but you have Andrews. He's really a receiver. You wouldn't normally have him in the backfield. 
and uh, and I think it probably did limit some of the formational kick flexibility they had. Gotcha. Speaking of tight ends, um, is Hayden Hurst improving at all? I know he got a couple catches. Yeah, three catches in this game for very short yardage. I mean, he's he's just not getting that many opportunities in anymore. Uh, it's it's sad. It is what it is. Um, is he blocking? The three, uh, he's in there on plays where okay. he, he is supposed to block, and I think he does some blocking level two. I honestly haven't analyzed him specifically that much. He had 30 snaps in this game. Andrews 29, Boyle 22. Uh, so he had a little bit more playing time than he had been having. Max Williams actually led. Looks like he took over Boyle's role with 43 snaps in this game. So, you know, he, he's still not getting the most snaps. As a number one draft pick, If at this point in the season, he's not seeing the most activity of any tight end, then you probably made a bad draft. Right, sure. Yeah, especially considering the Ravens didn't really have anything at the position that they couldn't they couldn't do without when the season started. Right, right. Yeah, whether he's not making a no, he's not making any improvement on the on the uh, tight ends by having him there instead of another guy. Right. Yeah, it's sad because he really came with a pedigree as a good blocker, and and if he really was that, I think he'd be getting a lot more snaps. All right. Speaking of guys who are kind of getting less usage, let's close out with Crabtree. Only got one target. Do you think this is? They're not trusting him to catch the ball. He's not the, as good as Snead is getting open in the middle of the field. What do you think is going on there? Yeah, part, part of it may be where he runs routes. Now, I remember last year with Oakland, Crabtree had 74% of his targets were outside the numbers. So, you know, he, the Raiders used him more as a bailout guy where they wanted to get him into a one-on-one -on -one matchup on the outside. Other teams were comfortable covering him in that way and then Carr used him as a bailout guy on a lot of routes um, I think that he's probably still running more outside the numbers than not this year as an as an outside receiver uh, he's generally not used in the slot but he is just getting far fewer targets like the important the, the, the relevance of that running outside the numbers is that Lamar doesn't throw outside the numbers too often so he doesn't he's not he's not throwing a lot to the outside he hasn't isn't turned into a back shoulder quarterback yet like Flacco was as a bread and butter throw in his rookie year. Flacco was throwing the fastball to the outside and letting Mason come back for it on that hitch route that would that would uh, you know pick up eight or ten yards and and it got a lot of first downs on that. But it, Lamar isn't there yet. Hopefully his his arm strength is up to the task when he learns and gets the timing down with the receivers better next year. But uh, but they're not. That's just not a big part of the offense right now. So Crabtree is being left out more. He had 45 snaps in this game, up there with the other receivers. Brown had 48. Snead 59. So it's not a matter of not being on the field. It's a matter of you know he's he's just not not the target and might not be getting open enough. They might not be using him as the receiver who's running through the cleared out zone very often. Uh, you know whatever the reason, he's he's not the guy they're throwing the ball to. And, uh, you know, he's been in hibernation several times. He, did, he, got, he got several targets a, a couple of weeks ago, but, uh, but generally he's been in hibernation now for, for a while, really since Lamar uh, took over. All right. Um, let's take care of our MVPs right now, and then let's look after that. We can close out that game, and I want to look ahead a little bit to the biggest game on the Ravens' schedule this Saturday. There you go. All right, so you, you're going to play along with me this week? Yeah, I've got some I've got some notes here. All right, fair enough. So my number three guy in the MVP is Edwards. I think we talked about him enough, but uh, his straight-ahead style, perfect match for Jackson. 
And I've got uh, Willie Sneed. He seems to be the guy this week that was able to catch the ball in the middle. You know, he was my number four, so I, I'm, I hardly endorse that selection. Yonda, my number two, terrific game again, having a great year. We're not going to ignore him in, uh, in this week just because we're excited about the skill position players. Yonda is still driving the offensive line play. And I'm taking Kenneth Dixon. I thought he did a decent job uh, filling in there. As I guess I was thinking the number two running back on Sunday, but I guess he was technically the number one running back on Sunday. Okay, so for all you offensive linemen out listening, listening there, Josh is actually ignoring the offensive line and picking a skill position player who yes. doesn't belong in the top three. Yes, I am going to ignore the <laughs> offensive line. So my number one guy is Jackson, and he had good personal stats as a rusher, not so much as a passer, but uh, he, he did so much to loosen up that uh, defense. you got to really value him appropriately. I've seen a lot of people trying to make arguments about why Jackson is better than Flacco. I think for starters, it's it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to do so at this point if Jackson's got the job. But if you're gonna do it, have a good argument, guys. And if you're gonna if you're gonna start by by really making a statistical argument, expect it to be inspected. So one thing I saw was that yards per drive, Lamar had averaged two point three over the last five games. Well, it turns out the five worst defenses in the entire NFL are who exactly the Ravens have played the last five weeks. And those teams have averaged 2.62 points allowed per drive. So from that perspective, Lamar isn't really exceptional. On the other hand, we know from watching the games that Lamar is, is loosening up that defense and making a lot of other players better, not just himself. And if you, in the, other, the other thing that Lamar lovers seem to want to do is always put down Flacco in any way they possibly can. And say, well, Flacco only had 2.09 yards per drive when he was in there. Well, relatively speaking, that was right on the mark. I think it was 2.11 was average yards per drive allowed by the opposing defenses the Ravens faced in those first nine weeks. So anyway, if you're going to make a statistical argument about Lamar, you probably ought to start with what somebody else is doing around Lamar more than than uh, uh, you know any Lamar stats themselves or certainly anything that's kind of unresearched about the way the defenses are. Anyway, I don't want to hit on anybody too hard. People people see things they want to they want to promote stats. You don't want to just jump on them and and uh, and crap on their argument. But on the other hand, if you're going to make a statistical argument, expect it to be inspected by Ravens fans who are who are pretty sharp in that regard. And that's and that's why my number one MVP is the entire offensive line. <laughs> so I just saw you scratching something else out. So who did you scratch out there on some defensive oh, I, player for the I, Buccaneers? No, no, the the rain, hmm. or or Joe Flacco. I thought of coming okay. with Joe Flacco as my number one after your little rant there, All but right. uh, no, I'll give it to the offensive line. I'll pay. It. I I know those big guys. I know those big guys have been making a huge improvement on the team these past five weeks as well. And the fact right. that they've been able to adjust to the different type of gameplay that Lamar does is, the, I think, the big story that's not getting enough attention this season. Yeah, you're right. And it's, uh, it's fun to watch them play anyway. I can tell you that snap after snap. Right. So let's, um, let's look ahead. Saturday, we play the L.A. Chargers. Not San Diego. L.A. And let's look at the defense first with how do we stop Melvin Gordon? All right, so Melvin Gordon has been out for a while. I, I do not recall how much he played in this last game or if he, in fact, played at all. I, did, uh, I believe but, this is his first game back. 
this will be his first game back. So he might be on a on a on a snap count here. We may see him for not a full game. I think the Ravens have to try and stop the run the way they have to date, which is to is to continue probably with the nickel against three receiver sets, which I expect they'll see on most plays against the Chargers. If the Chargers, frankly, want to use a fullback and a tight end or any combination of three interior personnel, which could be could be two backs, it could be two tight ends, um, I think that they're probably doing the Ravens a favor in terms of getting an extra heavy on the field and allowing the Ravens to play with just two corners. Uh, probably is a mistake on their part, but they, they're they they're free to do it, of course. In the nickel, the, the Ravens' big strength is the ability for Tony Jefferson to fill. So this will be a big test for Jefferson to, to get in there, fill behind players like Kenny Young, who are playing down, downhill, and Owasu when they want to gamble on a gap, uh, and, and make sure that those those runs by Gordon don't get into level three and get stopped in level two. And, and uh, obviously... Pearson, Williams, and Urban, all are very big run contributors, will have to do their job. And the edge holding, which has been quite good the entire year, uh, you know, needs to continue with, with Suggs primarily being the, the guy who's exceptional in, in that respect. So I think they can stop the run with, with the nickel. They, they've been very successful against runners like Joe Mixon in, in doing it. So I, I don't see a reason why they would try and get away from that strategy. All right. How big of a deal is the off the field stuff? The fact that the Ravens have to travel out west, the fact that the uh, Chargers had a long break and the Ravens have a short week. How much does that play into this? Yeah, that's a big batch of suck. I can tell you that. So so the Ravens are going out on a short week, playing a six six week game after a half half by from a Thursday game for the Chargers. And it's a West Coast trip in addition they're, they have made three good excuses for the Ravens right off the bat with, with this scheduling thing. And if you remember, this came out on the schedule originally as December 22 or 23. So they effectively chose this game to be a Saturday night game partway through the season. Right. Well, that, isn't that, I thought that was a lot of the games. When, isn't Saturday night flexible, flex scheduling? It, it probably is, and and you know when it came out that way on the schedule originally, I don't know if all, everybody's teams, all teams' games, came out that way, but to make this particular trip under these particular circumstances between two teams like this, it, it was a, in my mind, a pretty capricious selection of a game. It's a poor selection of a game in terms of the is that the is that one of those that uh, the Ravens send a little note to the NFL before next season's schedule comes out saying, hey, remember what you did to us last year? Maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know how much how much tolerance the schedule makers have for even it out requests. I know they, they did once send something saying they didn't want a primetime game in Pittsburgh, which, by the way, I don't see why that's a problem at all. But uh, but anyway, it, it is what it is. And they uh, this, the, this Saturday night game after a Thursday is just – it's just a – a big crappy situation. You want to have a regular old four o'clock game on a Sunday when you go to the West Coast, right? Um, all right, now let's talk about the offense, and it's going to be Lamar's first big test against a good defense. This is the toughest defense he's going to face. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is. The the Browns are, are are going to be decent too, but they're not as good as the Chargers, to be sure. Uh, hopefully, Lamar will face some better defenses in the playoffs, but got to get by this game first. Uh, this is, I believe, one of the ninth-ranked uh, defenses in the league. That might be ninth against the rush. But anyway, it's it's a defense that certainly has the chops to get him. And I think the, the player 
that will be the most key potentially in terms of stopping Lamar could be Derwin James. And that's where you think as a spy, you think yeah, they, they assign him to you're in charge of Lamar. Yeah. I, th- I think that's, that's reason very reasonably possible. Now Der- Derwin James coming from where he did, uh, obviously played a number of games against Lamar over the years. So, uh, they, it's not like they're not familiar with each other from college, but he also, uh, is a guy who who has good speed. I think really good instincts. <laughs> One thing about about what happens when a quarterback leaves the pocket is kind of key because a big part of Lamar's game, of course, is extending plays. But when a quarterback leaves the quarter leaves the pocket in either direction, if there's a spy assigned, generally he rushes the quarterback immediately. If there's not a spy assigned then a player in short zone coverage on one or the other side rushes the quarterback immediately. And uh, that's for containment, to make sure they don't, they don't get free if possible. It's also to push him towards the sideline to resolve the play more quickly. So I think we're going to see Derwin James, unfortunately, in the backfield looking after Lamar on some of these extended plays. And if I were a betting man here and there was a way to get an over-under on half a sack on Derwin James, I'd probably take the over on this game. Uh, with James to, to to get one or but, more sacks. But, on, but uh, you're also on a huge Derwin James fan. I, I am, but I think just the, the situation here really lines up for Derwin to have a big game pressuring Lamar uh, outside the pocket and to constrain some of those those plays. And obviously, when he does run, uh, you know, if they if they use James as a spy, he'll be uh, probably less effective than he than he otherwise would be right. anyway in terms of getting the edge and getting some big plays. So. Uh, it's it would be a bitter pill indeed for Ravens fans if Derwin James is the kryptonite for Lamar Jackson. Yeah, yes, because you'll go back to draft day and we'll hear all about that of you all over again. It won't just be me. It I know won't it won't be, be just me, you. Yeah. Yes. Um. So because of that, does that gonna do we have to then adjust the way we're using tight ends? I, I mean, I would say yes, is that, you know, if, if the offense is going to still flow between the numbers, which it seems like this would be the good week to try and get some additional outside the numbers passes, you know, and really it's the short outside the numbers passes that could help you here. Something that gets the ball away from, from the middle of the field and gives you a chance that Ravens are not a good screen team. They really haven't been for several years, really not since Ray Rice left, but maybe you get Ken Dixon out in the flat and you try and see if you can, you can, get him out there with a with at least one lineman out in front of him making a block or a tight end. Uh, you get that possibility. Tight ends in the middle of the field would be the other option. So if they tr- want to try and use Derwin James as a spy, then get behind him in levels two and three. You should have opportunities uh, between those levels to find a tight end. Mark Andrews would be the key target he has been so far this year. This could be an opportunity for Hayden Hurst to step forward and catch some balls in that range. But I think you have opportunities to get out between those levels and, and make plays there as well. Uh, probably less opportunities for long extended plays this week, though. That's what I would anticipate. All right. Do you think they, so do you think they, how's the pass run balance? Do you think they come out like they did in Tampa or host in Tampa trying to throw the ball? Or you think they go with what works from the start, knowing they can run the ball? Yeah, I think I don't remember if we talked on this in the last episode or I've been I've been writing about this in articles. I can't honestly remember a lot of this runs together. But in terms of of some of the passing they did early in the last game, I think it was more a function of they knew that the defense was as rested. It was going to be as the start of the game. Right. Make them run. Yeah. So if if you pass in the early part of the game, you can you can 
you have some opportunities that maybe are better at that point. Also, the scripting of the plays for passing earlier in the game makes it a little easier for Lamar. So he can just go to the go to the huddle and give you know, say, give me a number twenty-two kind of thing, like he's ordering off a menu, and the entire team knows what that play is. You know, one-word play calls or something we've heard, right. uh, you know, about Lamar. Well, anyway, those scripted plays they give the opportunity for the Ravens to unlock that defense a little bit in terms of finding some weaknesses and finding some ways to loosen them up. And then I think the run game will take over again in the second half as it does if the game is close or if the Ravens are ahead, and then they'll have an opportunity to wear that Chargers defense down a little bit then after they've already played some snaps. But the the best formula is the formula they've had so far. If they can make that work again, that'd be terrific. Uh, the Chargers have two outstanding edge rushers to deal with in this game. So it's going to have to be some quickness to what happens in the past game. And the Ravens will be depending a lot on uh, Brown and Stanley to have decent games uh, in terms of protecting Jackson. So uh, those guys are both capable, both Ingram and Bosa are capable of running themselves out of the play. So one of the, one of the things you might do is some design QB runs, quarterback draws where you, where you drop back and that's why I think there's a, there's a good chance they're gonna they're gonna have someone on the lookout for Lamar, whether it's James or whether it's somebody else. Okay, and that's where you would just assume a a better defense is going with more footage and more chances to understand uh, Jackson that they're going to be better prepared. Yeah, I, I I guess I would say that. Now that said, the Ravens have beaten effectively the same team five straight weeks, a very bad defensive team each week with the exact same game plan, and, and no one has figured out how to stop it. So it will be a better team, also with more talent, that's able to stop it. It's not just a more prepared team. Gotcha. So I think, yeah. All right, uh, let's get to the mailbag. You send in your questions on Twitter using the hashtag film study mailbag. First guy up is Taz. The problem I notice is on the back end of the D is that they run soft coverage or late to close in on the ball. Uh, the Boyd catch last year and the Hill catch this year were uh, several plays. It looked like they had fixed that issue. What do you think? Okay, well, the hill catch was an extraordinary extended pocket. There just wasn't anybody who could stay with Tyreek Hill back there. Mosley was trailing around after him for a while. If that's your play design, is Mosley to cover Tyreek Hill? Forget it. It's not going to work. Okay, if, in terms of the Tyler Boyd play last year, that was a play where they tried to put Kennedy at safety for a play effectively and put him on the back end where he had multiple responsibilities, had to side between coverages. Now, Kennedy was a great man-to-man slot corner that basically won the game the previous week against the Colts, was put into this role where, where he effectively made three mistakes on the same play. But the real mistake was that they gave him this role that had multiple responsibilities when he'd been so good at his sole responsibility for half a season. So he effectively on the Tyler Boyd play that's been mentioned, Kennedy took a step to the outside receiver to try and cover him. Then he stepped back to the inside, but he was too deep. Boyd caught the ball, then he missed the tackle. So it was really three mistakes on the same play. But the re- the real mistake was Pease designing a play where Kennedy was had this responsibility as safety so they could bring Weddle up front and do God knows what because he wasn't in position to do anything on the play. All right. Uh, Cakes is getting in with Humphrey, um, one of the stars of the defense this season. He's been playing at such a top-tier level. When would it be appropriate for the team to deem him as the number one cornerback over Jim? Well, I mean, it's been pretty clear to me he's been the number one cornerback the entire season. Uh, I've been saying so in tweets. Took some heat early in the year for it, but but not anymore, I don't think. Uh, I don't think it matters who's designated the number one corner unless you're going to uh, – 
chase in terms of the coverage, meaning you have your number one corner have some specific role left or right. The Ravens don't really do that. They they use Humphrey as a left cornerback and Jimmy Smith as a right cornerback unless you have multiple multiple receivers on one side and then they'll of course they'll have two on the same side. But they don't they don't really they haven't really played Chase very often. They've done a little bit of it, but almost none. And uh, I think that's the way they'll stay. When you have when you have two good cornerbacks and you have a decent slot cornerback you trust, that's really the, the the easier way to do it. I do think it's possible that Humphrey's going to start seeing more playing time, but mitigating his fantastic game this last week, which you know was one of the greatest in Ravens history by a corner, we talked about on the defensive episode. I think it's the fact that he's still trying to get over a lingering groin injury, so they may they may be trying to keep him on a pitch count for the rest of the season as it as it goes. All right, uh, McGee follows up. Will the Ravens consider moving Jimmy to safety possibly next year? I think the most likely event based on where the Ravens are as a franchise is that they just move on from Jimmy. Now, I don't think it's impossible that he'll be back, but my guess would be he would be back maybe at a lower salary. And if you're Jimmy Smith at this point, you got another chance to cash in on a big contract. So I don't know why you do that. I think, you know, they could trade him to somebody who's really desperate for a corner and get salvage value for one year, but it's the same as cutting them from the Ravens' perspective. I think this, the amount of salvage value for Jimmy Smith would be fairly low. Uh, we might be talking something as good as a fifth-round pick uh, that the Ravens could get if they if they traded him. And, and honestly, a lot of that is, is going to be um, a factor of how he plays these last few weeks, however long it goes. If Jimmy Smith is you know a starting corner on a team that goes to the Super Bowl – then I think his trade value is higher. Right. If he, you know, maybe you end up getting a four for him. Uh, but if he, if he's a guy who is, uh, you know, not anything truly exceptional in terms of uh, the rest of the street, then I think you end up with just a very low salvage value for him, or maybe you just have to cut him. All right. Uh, Brad wants to know if the Ravens don't make the playoffs, has Harbs and company shown enough innovation with Lamar to come back next year? You know, it's an interesting thing because, the point has been made that a lot of Harbaugh's staff may go with him. So if Harbaugh got signed by another team, well, maybe he takes Marty Morningweg and maybe he takes James Urban with him. I think that, you know, in some ways the biggest loss would be Urban, that, that he would be the quarterback whisperer that's helped other guys. And Morningweg obviously also has been good with running quarterbacks in the past. So it, it makes sense. By the way, I haven't heard too much negative Marty Morningweg talk in these last few weeks when Jackson's been in there. Much less, certainly, anyway. Right. The only complaint has been uh, still a little pass-happy once in a while with a quarterback who hasn't figured out how to be pass-happy. Well, that's that's certainly a a fair criticism, but at some point he's got he does have to learn how to pass. This game, I hope, is is they're going to try they're going to have to try and do it some just to open the the Chargers up a little bit here, but. Uh, you know, you hope that they can win by the formula this week as well and get this game into the second half close or ahead, outsnap the Chargers in that second half and, and hopefully be able to hold the ball at the end of the game rather than let Rivers have a drive to, to catch up or to go ahead because that has not worked out always well. And, and in general, very hard to stop four down football these days. So you don't ever want the opposing good quarterback to have the ball in his hands at the end of a game. Right. Uh, Zach gets in and he says, my mind exploded when I learned that Myers has missed three point afters this year. Clearly he's talking about the pro bowl selection and the fact that, uh, Jason Myers from the jets is the kicker who selected. So let's get into the pro bowl picks and, uh, guys who got left out. The Ravens pro bowl selections are CJ Mosley, Marshall Yanda, 
and uh, Weddell. All right, I mean, I'm happy for Mosley and Weddle making it, and I'm I'm not really sure who else I would have taken in the AFC. I'd have to think about it in terms of Mosley, in terms of Weddle. I'm sure there's other options. Derwin James did make the Pro Bowl, so he didn't take he Weddle didn't take jo, uh, Derwin James's spot. Okay, but did but, did Weddle take Humphrey's spot? Uh, well, Weddle being a safety didn't take Humphrey's spot, okay. but, he, but he but he probably took somebody's spot. Humphrey should have made the Pro Bowl, I think. Uh, he certainly should have been at least a first alternate, and I don't know where he ended up in terms of being a, an alternate. I'm sure he's in there somewhere, but I don't know whether it's a second or third, fourth alternate, whatever it might be. Right, I saw Tucker's a alternate as well. Yeah, Tucker being first alternate, you may as well give him a pie in the face for that that kind of a choice. First alternate for, you know, not, he's the greatest kicker of all time, but if you look at his kicks this year, He's really been more impressive than Myers. Myers missed three extra points. Tucker's missed one, but they both have missed two field goals on the year. Myers has made six out of seven from outside 50, but Tucker's also on the streak of 17, sorry, 21 consecutive field goals made from 50 to 57, longest streak in NFL history. He's made 106 in a row now that have not been blocked, so uh, from 57 and in. So. I just I cannot see anybody but Tucker as a Pro Bowl selection effectively for the rest of Tucker's career, but certainly until he has some sort of Boswell-like breakdown um, oh. in a year where, where things don't make sense. How does the Pro Bowl work? Is it like baseball where they try to get uh, someone representing every team? So, no, they don't. They don't have that for the NFL. Okay. So baseball has the there's at least one player on every team, right? That's uh, how, which like, which I think is kind of nice. Yeah, it gets guys like Ty Wigginton to be all stars. Yes. <laughs> good point <laughs> but but it's you know it's something that that they do and oftentimes there's some relief pitcher or whatever that they can they can take on a, well, even a bad team but well baseball does it because baseball is very much a localized sport you watch your team in your town so when you try to market a game like that they want every team represented the nfl is different as in it's uh not as localized and you get to see all the other players even in your local market Right, so you have Sunday ticket, and you have the advantage of seeing all the games. Both teams are very, both sports are very fantasy driven. So yes. I would think that, that you know, in, in either case, you've got players who are uh, you know on all teams that people are getting used to understanding who they are, particularly if they're playing DraftKings or they're gambling on it. But even if they're just playing in fantasy leagues, right? All right, um, Marcus gets in. Where would you like to see the Ravens use their potential cap space this offseason on the offense to best surround Lamar? Okay, so oh, and he's really on the just defense to take the next step. So he wants the offense and defense. All right, so on defense, you know, it's sad to say, but some of the things I'm hearing indicate the Ravens may need to be drafting a pass rusher again early on. Um, in particular, uh, Jeff Srebeck has said some things about uh, Tim Williams not returning despite the fact he's back at practice. It's no longer a matter of the injury. It's a matter of he had, there was – Lost some weight when he was not training due to the injury, and he may also not be prepared. And when I hear a statement like that coming from Zrebeck, I know he's very serious about this kind of thing. He wouldn't say it if he didn't really mean it. And and that's that's a very serious problem if he's if he's losing focus on the playbook or he has maybe special teams issues where he's not really getting it. Uh, you know, it's it's really a shame if that's not happening. Now I think he could still help the Ravens as a situational pass rusher. But it's too bad because earlier in the year, he seemed to be getting it on special teams, working hard at that, especially during camp. He seemed to be 
improved his game against the run, which is one of his big deficiencies before, and he just looked like an unbelievably fast pass rusher with all sorts of different moves that could really help the Ravens. And and I would have said he's he would be the guy to replace Suggs as the rush linebacker. And now I don't know what the what the future holds. It's possible they'll re-sign Terrell Suggs for two more years. It's not out of the question. All right. Yeah, I mean, sure, the way he's looked, that could be all right. But he is not the playmaker, and that's what Jalen gets in. Is Do you think sure. the Ravens this offseason trade, make a trade for a big-time defensive playmaker? Uh, I'm starting to think missing out on Derwin James will haunt us for years to come. <laughs> well, he's right about that. Uh, I, I, there, I, we're going to all be – when we're 90, we're all going to be thinking about Derwin James walking across the stage with his yellow jacket. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to over-dramatize that, but it's certainly a very high-quality talent the Ravens passed on. Anyway, going back to the playmaker uh, situation, I think he's right that the Ravens do need a playmaker. Weddle has become not a playmaker this year, particularly in terms of any kind of turnovers, and he was the, the guy who had 10 interceptions the last two years. Right. I think they really probably are going to try and need to find out if they've got that guy on the roster in Elliott to be the next free safety. Uh, maybe Chuck Clark can be the guy. I'm not sure. Uh, but I think it's probably Elliott or a draft pick. Elliott did come out of school with an enormous playmaking tag, but real questions about whether he was a free safety or strong safety candidate. So I think at the NFL level, my guess is Elliott's they're going to give him every opportunity to win the free safety job next camp, and we'll see how that works out. But they may also draft in addition, and, and it's a position where the Ravens still afford to have another young player. All right, and we're going to close out the mailbag uh, with Jalen's question that kind of takes us back to the beginning of the show. Has Gus Edwards earned a starting running back role next season? Second question, projection-wise, if he and Lamar would have – started at the beginning of the season would we have had two thousand yard rushers okay let me address the first thing i hope they would not have had two thousand yard rushers because i think that lamar is being overused as a rusher right now and the team part of what they need to do is get more creative in misdirecting with lamar but getting the ball into somebody else's hands to pick up some of this yardage so i really hope that we're not going to see Whoever, you know, next year that Lamar has 14 carries per game or if he had started this year, the same thing would have happened that they would have had to reduce his carries at some point. And and, you know, we'd be instead of seeing 14, 15 carries per game, we'd be seeing eight carries per game out of Lamar with a lot more care taken on those carries to make sure he's getting down. Um, so I think that's that's my hope on that. As far as Edwards going for a thousand. Sure. I'd sign me up for that. That'd be that'd be terrific. I think he is the kind of back who can run for a thousand, and uh, the workload would not be too much for him. He's you know big sturdy guy, and doesn't really depend on speed. And you're probably not going to reduce him by too much by the amount of banging that he'd take in his in a season. He's got the body for it. All right, all right. Well, now it's plug time, Ken. What's going on over at Russell Street Report? All the usual stuff out there. So we're we're trying something new. We have the offensive line stuff. So you got the grades tonight here. I'm going to encourage people to to take a listen to this podcast. Make sure that if you want to get grades, this is where they go. And then the, the article will go out there with grades in more detail uh, later tomorrow. But uh, anyway, if, if hopefully people will give this podcast a chance, we'd love to hear from you in the future in the mailbag. Uh, tiebreaker article, defensive article are out there on Russell Street Report. Follow me on Twitter, if you would, at Film Study Ravens. I'd love to hear from you. Intense conversation of the day, and I'm loving the – analyst talk you get on the good questions that are coming up right now about 
about Lamar and about Joe and all the comparisons that are being made and the new offense that the Ravens are running. It's just it's an exciting time to be a Ravens fan and talk about the Ravens all day. So, Josh, how about uh, Birdland Sports? Tell us about uh, that. Yeah, Birdland Sports, lots of new podcasts up there from both Film Study and Section 336. And I know there's a few other shows that will have new episodes coming out in the next day or two as well. So make sure you're checking that out to get your uh, daily podcast fill of Baltimore Sports Talk. How about, has there been a new Dage View lately? I've been looking for that. Uh, no. Okay. No, I'm not sure what's up with that. i got to reach out and check in on him. All right, very good. So. All right, Ken. Well, uh, we will talk again soon. All right. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a Scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if if you don't win your first bet, BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.